We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is once again the loss of a perspective, of a definition, of a roadmap outside of ourselves. The radical narcissism, the self-focus of defining everything by ourselves, of ourselves, within ourselves, rather than having a light, a measuring rod, outside of our own brains. The consequences of this are devastating. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Okay, welcome to The Rebellion. In yesterday's show, I spent some time focusing on Oz Guinness and John Lennox. A little bit more time on Lennox than Guinness. And in fact, I shared with you one of Lennox's quotes in his book, Seven Days That Divided the World, where Lennox is quite frankly dealing with the creation narrative. But it's interesting, in that book, he actually highlights a very critical thing with regard to what it means to be human in relationship to God as well as in relationship with other people, with other human beings. And what Lennox is arguing is that the Genesis narrative actually sets the stage for a light to be outside of our world, i.e. the earth revolves around the sun and gets its light from something other than itself, Lennox is arguing that this is actually a prototype for our relationship with God, with morality, and with meaning. And that if we don't have a light outside of ourselves, and if we assume that all wisdom, all illumination, all value, all virtues, all measurements come from within rather than from without, that we're going to go drastically wrong. And in fact, in the quote I read to you yesterday, Lennox says this, The attempts to explain human beings solely in terms of animals, of morality in terms of the dictates of pain and pleasure, these attempts are bound to fail in the end. And then he says this, The sad irony of the Enlightenment is that it puts the light inside man by making human reason the ultimate arbiter. I want to read that to you again. Listen to this. This is a very critical point. The sad irony of the Enlightenment is that it puts the light inside man by making human reason the ultimate arbiter. And then Lennox goes on and says this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus himself is the source of the light of the world. This is John Lennox, a brilliant mathematician, an Oxford don and scholar. He is arguing that the loss of perspective, this perpetual navel-gazing, the failure to see the forest for the trees, we're, we're, we're fixated on ourselves rather than looking outward and recognizing that you cannot measure yourself. You have to have something outside of yourself to do any measuring. This is something that I'm fond of quoting over and over again from C.S. Lewis. 
You cannot do any measuring without a measuring rod outside of that which you're measuring. You can't decide how tall you are unless you have a yardstick, a tape measure, something to measure your height. You don't measure yourself. The tape measure, the yardstick, the ruler measures you. We know this is true. You have to have a scale to assess what something weighs. And the scale has to be outside of the thing that you're deciding to weigh. This is common sense. We understand this. And again, Linux is setting up the prototype by suggesting that when God gave us illumination, i.e. the sun, the stars, the moon, etc., when he gave us illumination and he set the earth in rotation, the Capernaum model, the earth in rotation around that illumination, he essentially, God, is suggesting that all of life needs to be treated the same. That as you get your physical illumination from the sun, you get your spiritual illumination from something that's outside of you, likewise, that you have to revolve around. And you get that spiritual, that intellectual inspiration, illumination. You get that wisdom as a result of looking to God rather than looking inward to yourself. So the moral to the story is you need a road map if you want to get somewhere. You have to look at something that actually is outside of yourself, that actually gives you a bird's eye view, if you will, of reality, so that you can follow that map to your desired end. If you get rid of that perspective, you're going to get lost. And what we're doing in Western civilization right now is we're cutting off the very branch upon which we sit. The Judeo-Christian ethic, the biblical worldview, Christian wisdom, the foundation of our culture, of our constitution, of our republic, common sense, sense that is common, natural law, the laws of nature and nature's God, all of these ideas are an explicit acknowledgement that there is a sun outside of ourselves by which we gain the necessary light to see. And that sun isn't just in reference to our physical reality, S-U-N. It's a reference to our spiritual reality, the S-O-N, that we need a God bigger than ourselves if we're going to be a moral people. Because without that bigger God, our map for morality becomes very selfish and very fixated on our own quest for power and popularity. So we're going to take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to read a couple quotes out of Oz Guinness's book this time, and then I'm going to try to wrap this thing up by giving you my own interpretation of how this plays out, and I'm going to use the analogy of a roadmap, of a bird's eye view, uh, as being necessary if you're going to get anywhere um, and not get lost. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, I said before the break that I wanted to refer to Oz Guinness's book. It's a book that I referred to yesterday. It's titled, forgive me for turning the pages here, The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. The basic argument that Guinness is making in this book is that Sinai, the Exodus, um, Judaism, God's revelation in the Old Testament, is the context, it's the roadmap for freedom. 
And it's out of that story, out of that narrative, out of that truth, that the Magna Carta in Great Britain, the United Kingdom, led to a higher definition of human freedom, human dignity, than anything that preceded us. And that from the Magna Carta and the British view of freedom, of liberty, of classical liberalism, out of that idea sprung the American Revolution, our founding documents, self-evident truths endowed to us by our Creator. He's arguing, Guinness says, that there's a huge difference between Sinai and Paris. Because Sinai, being respected, recognizing that the illumination, the light, comes from outside, those self-evident truths are not made up within the self, but they're endowed to us from something bigger than ourselves, outside of ourselves, and that thing, if you will, is revelation with a capital R, not our own individual reason. Uh, truth is not a matter of opinions. Truth with a capital T is revealed by God, made not made up by you or me. That's Guinness's essential argument. And one of the quotes that I've mentioned of his repeatedly on the show is from a different book, his little book uh, titled A Time for Truth, where Oz Guinness makes the claim, and I agree with it, that all truth is true, okay? Truth is true, says Oz Guinness, even if no one believes it. And falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it. One more time on that quote from Oz Guinness in a different book titled A Time for Truth. Truth is true even if no one believes it, and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true, and that's just the end of it, close quote. So Guinness is making the argument here, the self-evident argument that truth can't just be a matter of personal feelings and opinions. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you believe something that's false, that doesn't make it true. So truth is something bigger than what you can contrive or make up in your small little brain. I can't just decide that 2 plus 2 equals 8 or 9 or 5. That's not true, regardless of what I believe. And I can pretend that airplanes don't need wings and they don't need to be aerodynamic. I can pretend that a rock is a plane, but that isn't going to make it fly. My belief doesn't matter. Believing that a rock is a plane is delusional. It, it, it means nothing other than I'm drastically and sorely and sadly mistaken. This is the nature of truth. Now, Guinness is making the argument in his book that our civilization is now a cut flower civilization because the flower has been cut and it has no nourishment any longer. It has no roots and it doesn't even, we're not even putting it in a vase of water. The, the flower has been cut and it may retain its bloom, but it'll be very, very short-lived because Flowers wilt and die if they don't have sustenance. Guinness is pointing out that our culture is a Christian culture. Our culture gets its nourishment from Sinai. Our culture gets its nourishment from the biblical ethic, the biblical worldview, the laws of nature, nature's God, common sense, sense that's common, a biblical ethic. To make his point that our culture is severed from its roots, from any source of nourishment, that it's a cut flower culture that is wilting and dying very quickly, that we don't even have a vase of water, let alone 
roots that are grounded deeply in the soil to sustain the life of the plant. He quotes some uh, Enlightenment thinkers, if you will, who, again, as Lennox tells us, the interesting thing, the sad irony of the Enlightenment is that it puts the light on the inside of man rather than making God the light and recognizing that man has to rotate around some something more illuminating than himself. The Enlightenment has actually put us into darkness because we now rely on reason rather than revelation as being the ultimate arbiter. One Enlightenment thinker is Voltaire, and he said, crush the loathsome thing. What was he referring to? Belief in God. He believed that that was the ultimate evil, the loathsome thing we needed to crush. That's Voltaire. And then we've got Nietzsche who comes along and says that we need to murder God. Uh, These assailants, says Guinness, are driving a stake through the heart of the highest and most awesome of human aspirations, reducing life to a different and far more dismal affair. Guinness goes on and says, hostility toward God betrays the significance of the meaning of God, because as we shake our fist at God, so angry with him, we're actually betraying the fact that we want to be God and that we will not accept his measurement of what's right and just and beautiful and true and good, that we demand to determine those things in and of ourselves, with reason rather than God's revelation, if you will. Our opinions, our self-focus, our narcissism, our navel-gazing becomes the ultimate arbiter of our direction, of what we are going to decide should be right and wrong and good and evil within our culture. And you see it unraveling. I mean, good becomes evil, evil becomes good, up becomes down, down becomes up, men become women, women become men. Children don't have innocence any longer because we're actually degrading and dumbing down the very definition of what it even means to be a child. And when we do these things, when words lose their meaning because of no outside measurement to control their definition, the world implodes very, very quickly and the flower wilts and dies. That's Guinness's argument. It's the same argument that Lennox was making in his book. All right, so what I want to do now is give you a little picture of what I think is happening as a result of losing this outward focus, this compass, this external reference of reality, the bird's eye view of our world, if you will. When you're constantly focused on yourself, when you're navel-gazing, when you're Narcissus standing on the river's edge, gazing at your reflection in the, in, in, in the water, you're going to slip and fall in and drown. You're going to die because your focus was on yourself rather than on your creator. You've lost your roadmap. You've lost your bird's eye view that shows you the lay of the land, the topography, rivers and streams and hills and roads and paths. Uh, If you're a hiker or a biker or a hunter or even a tourist, you know the importance of having a map because the map unifies what is otherwise a bunch of fragmented, self-centered perspectives. The map basically doesn't care about what you think or what your fears or what your focus is. The map gives you the whole picture. It's something outside of your perspective that unifies and brings everything together into a whole rather than these fragmented parts that will get you lost. So when you're down on the ground and without a map, you can only see what's immediately before you. And when you take it to its 
ultimate extreme. You can only see maybe your hand before your face or you're looking at yourself so much. You don't even see things that could hurt you that are immediately present before you. Your vision is limited and you don't even see the next tree or the turn in the path or the next fork in the road or the next building or the next rock or the next ridge. You just don't see that stuff. It's it's hard to even understand proximity and place or or even purpose when you don't have the perspective that comes from without rather than that selfish focus that comes by looking only from within. You need perspective. You don't need to be focusing on your person all the time. And this loss of perspective, this myopic fragmentation of the way we see things is more prevalent than ever in our current political discourse, cultural discourse, the culture wars. You see it in every new controversy. We have a loss of perspective regarding who we are as a free nation or a free people. Guinness and Lennox are both focusing on freedom and the loss of perspective on what it means to be free. They're saying when you start focusing on your own reason or your own opinions or your own feelings more than the revelation of God, more than the revelation of God, you're going to end up in Paris rather than Sinai. You're going to end up standing and applauding the guillotine rather than bowing before and honoring God. You're going to lose your head because you sold your mind and you sold your soul. You you, you forgot that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then when you elevate yourself as God, you're no longer wise. You're actually quite stupid. Um, you get these claims of segregation and victimization and balkanization. All of this stuff is dominating the political narrative today. The public square, the political stage, all of this debate, all of the splintering rather than uniting as a culture right now, Republicans versus Democrats, liberals versus conservatives, young versus the old, black versus white, men versus women. The list of divisions and cliques and groups is endless today. It's as if e pluribus unum has been flipped on its head, and it's now e unum pluribus. That's bad Latin, by the way, but I think you get my point there. We're dividing the one into many rather than unifying the many into one. So we've discarded common sense and common purpose Um the map is has been thrown away. We just burned it up. We don't care any longer because we don't even think that commonality is important any longer. It's individuality that we now worship. In fact, people will smirk and mock at, at you when you say, well, that, that, that's not even common sense. They'll look at you with a raised eyebrow as if you're somehow an, a dinosaur when you try to make arguments from what just yesterday would have been considered since that's common, common sense, rationality, logic. Uh, civil discourse was grounded in the assumption of these measuring rods outside of ourselves. Self-evident truths endowed to us again by our creator, not made up by government. Or you or me, as we sit in front of our mirrors, worshiping our own ideas, elevating ourselves through self-infatuation and self-absorption, this self-focus, as opposed to looking outside, looking beyond the mirror, maybe look out the window and recognize reality around us rather than sitting in front of our mirror all day long and gazing at our own, at our own beauty. Again, that's the story of Narcissus, standing on the river's edge, gazing at his reflection in the water, 
declaring himself to be as grand and glorious, as beautiful as Zeus and Apollo, and then slipping and following, falling in and drowning within his own image. So my point that I'm trying to make right now is kind of like a hiker trying to navigate a new, a new area that he's never been to before, a new property without a map. Uh, we fail to see the forest for the trees. Our perspective is, is limited. Our vision is truncated. We don't see the big picture. We're crawling around on the ground on our hands and knees when we could be using a drone and seeing the total picture. We need to get above the treetops and stop the navel-gazing. And when we get above the treetops and see the entire forest and stop fixating on the tree, if not just the bark of the tree, then and only then will we be able to navigate where we need to go and be safe and be free to enjoy everything that we're, we're trying to, to do at that point in our, in our life. It, without a bird's eye view, without a map, you can never make sense of the landscape. Um, a political landscape or any other landscape for that matter. No one even seems to be asking how all of these divisive positions and ideas can be unified into a cohesive and unified whole, a a worldview that binds us together rather than tears us apart. Only by getting above the treetops and getting that aerial view, that bird's eye view, looking at the map, only when we do that will we ever be able to return to sane political discourse and anything that's uplifting in our communal life. So, lacking a map for guidance, our culture is a cut flower culture. We've lost the foresight, the ability to successfully navigate where we want to go. Any of the circumstances, any of the debates that we're having in our culture right now, we can't even engage in those because we don't have a moral, an ideological, a unifying map. We're becoming ultra-reactive. We're responding to individual events without any rationale or any plan. We've got entire political parties that rally behind a cause that represents the exact opposite of the values that they championed five minutes ago. Political and moral attitudes are changing as quickly as you can flip on or off a switch. Why? Because it's all self-referential. It's all about power and popularity. There's nothing that's grounded in a deeper principle. The flower has no roots. Uh, You can blame it on a lot of things. You can blame it on social media. You can blame it on our schools. You can blame it on bad parenting. Uh, Blame blame it on the church. Uh, All are guilty. But the fact of the matter is this. It's clear as the nose on your face that no one is looking ahead or looking at the big picture. We, as a nation, as a culture, we're only reacting. We're only looking at one tree at a time. And maybe not even the tree, as I suggested earlier. Maybe it's just the bark that we're looking at. We're that close. We're that distracted. What we need to do is step back, step back away from the tree, and see the whole forest. Did your parents ever tell you that when you ran off ahead on a hike to make sure that you stayed on the trail? You remember that when you were younger. Why'd they say that? Because the trail has been mapped out. And if you leave the path, who knows what might happen? You might fall over a cliff. You might get bit by a snake. You might, 
you might find that you're lost if you leave the path, if you leave the trail. Here's a rhetorical question. Is it possible that we'd be much better off if instead of running ahead, headlong, into our reactive, selfish agendas, is it possible that if we pumped the brakes just a little bit and looked at the map, maybe, maybe, if we did that, pause just a little bit and look at the big picture, the map, that we would be able to navigate through this morass, this mess, this moral confusion that we find ourselves in right now. One of the most remarkable aspects about our Constitution is that it is grounded in the outward rather than the inward. It's the antithesis of the French Revolution. Robespierre was a worshiper of self. In fact, as the French Revolution progressed, Robespierre, one of its architects, actually declared himself to be a god, and then he suffered the fate of his own invention, the guillotine. Why? Because he lost perspective. He started worshiping something that was very close. Again, he started worshiping that thing that he saw in the mirror. He started worshiping his own, his own deity, his own godhood with a lowercase g. And he started denying, trying to murder, trying to get rid of that loathsome thing. And that was the revelation of God that actually gave greater freedom than the French Revolution could ever hope for. The founders of our republic believed in a big God rather than big government. They had perspective. They saw not only the forest for the trees, but also the paths and the roadways that history and providence had carved out on their behalf. They had a map. It was called the Bible. It was called wisdom. It was called revelation. It was called natural law. It was called the laws of nature and nature's God. They had all of this, and they used that map. And I think the point that Guinness is making is this. Who who could possibly argue that we aren't better off today because of that map? The reality of where we are right now as a culture, this sawing off the branch upon which we sit, if you want to use that analogy, or the other, the cut flower culture that Os Guinness refers to, Uh, Or the analogy that I've used, and that is we're trying to navigate the forest without any idea where we're going. We're off the path, we're off the trail, and we have no map and we have no compass, and we think that we've got it all together. And we're bumping into trees and we're stumbling toward a cliff that is going to kill us. We need to reel it back, pump the brakes, and accept the fact that as C.S. Lewis told us, if you are standing on the beaches of Great Britain and your desire is to get to America, there's one thing you need before you set off to see. You need a map because you're not going to get where you expect to go without it. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion.